Welcome to OOO, another ordinary podcast where we dig deep into case studies and the nitty-gritty of Web3 marketing. You'll find here all the amazing people that are building Web3, so stick to us as we address their marketing secrets and learn how to build amazing products and brands. Hello everyone, I'm Alex, your fellow Web3 marketer and the host on our ordinary podcast. This is episode 48 and I'm super excited for the next months. My goal, to make this podcast your go-to place when it comes to answering anything Web3 marketing related. As always, I want to let you know that you can now support the show both on Patreon and Unisub with donations in fiat or crypto. You can donate as little as $5 a month and still have a huge impact. And you know what? If you can't donate, that's totally fine. Send this episode to a friend, leave a five-star review or post about it on social media. Every action matters. And now... Let me introduce you to my guest. Evan McMuller is CEO and the co-founder of Disco XYZ, your identity to the metaverse. Disco enables your personal data backpack, making data and reputation portable across Web2 apps and Web3 blockchain ecosystems. She's also the co-founder of Dow Jones and InkDAO and an advisor to Boys Club. She's also a graduate of Yale University. Hi, Evan. How are you? GMGM, thank you so much for having me today. I am excited to be here. Thank you so much for, for being here with me today. I'm, I'm super excited to, to be talking about Disco. I know it's been growing quite a lot lately. And I know, um, especially re- right now with all this uh, market conditions changing, I'm pretty sure you're going to have like a lot of really amazing uh, stuff to tell us. But to kind of kick it off, like, would you want to introduce yourself a bit? Tell us a bit how uh, you got into Web3 and how you came to co-found Disco. Certainly. So my name is Evan McMullen, and I am calling in today from my childhood bedroom in Ohio, complete with horses and everything. Um, So actually, it was right here that I first fell in love with technology and started learning about decentralized networks when I was a kid, starting with Napster, if you remember that, from the 1990s, a music and file sharing platform. And that was really my first exposure to understanding that data was allowed to move in some ways and not allowed to move in others. So as I got older, went away to school, I actually had an amazing computer science professor named Elizabeth Stark, who actually went on to become a founder in the crypto ecosystem and is a leader in the Bitcoin space in her own right. But at the time, as my computer science teacher, she introduced us to a variety of leaders and creators in the legal and technology space that led us down a rabbit hole to discover Bitcoin a little over 10 years ago. Um, So it was through sort of the conversation about net neutrality that I learned about, um, you know, professors and thought leaders like Jonathan Zittrain, Clay Shirky, and Tim Wu, whose work was focused on decentralized networks of value, the future of the internet, and the way that we represent ourselves online. And so through that exploration, I realized that, you know, there could be different ways for data to move than, you know, than I had grown used to, than the applications that I used on a regular basis allowed. So I had, you know, grown up uh, sort of in the age of social media with Facebook, MySpace, later on Instagram and Snapchat, but it was through my career um, starting to work on human-centered design practices in the technology space that I started to realize we as builders rarely take into consideration the best interests and needs of the human beings we serve because we inherit technology systems that were built in a certain way. 
And so what the Bitcoin paper and eventually learning about decentralized technologies invited me to do was to think differently. How could we improve our experience as human beings so that we have to fill out fewer forms, so that we wait in fewer lines and we spend less time trying to find the right experiences for us and more time delving into our adventures and enjoying personalized experiences? And so after working for many years in a sort of more traditional and Web2 context, I learned in 2017 that you could have a job working on crypto, working in these decentralized networks. It wasn't just a hobby or something to do on the weekends. And so I hung up my suit in the closet for the last time. At the time, I was working at Berkshire Hathaway in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, then decided to start working at a company called Consensus, which was in a little apartment of above a pizza shop in New York City, uh, where we were building out what we were excited to see the future as, a protocol called Ethereum. I just released my, I just released my episode with Amanda Kassat like today, so... <laughs> Oh, how wonderful. Amanda is a longtime mentor and friend. She actually was in my class at a different school nearby uh, when we were in college. And so she attended school with some of my friends um, who I grew up with right here in Ohio. And to this day, she and I continue to, uh, to build together and work toward that shared vision that brought us to Ethereum in the first place which is a world where we can show up in any digital or physical environment and enjoy a personalized experience based on the parts of ourselves that we choose to share. And so that's why I founded Disco a couple of years ago, because we believe that you are the multifaceted center of the party, just as you are, and you should reflect your identity to the world however you decide. So Disco's tools are the first place where you could use your existing crypto keys to secure information written about you that's not just money, so that you could carry your preferences and traits around with you from app to app, so you don't have to declare whether you like light or dark mode or remind every new app what your t-shirt size is. You can just bring those preferences and traits with you. And so today, Disco is an applied identity platform that stretches from the protocol layer of the stack all the way up to applications that people know and love around the world. Our partnerships include um, you know, everyone from protocols to cosmetics companies, and we help these teams understand the identity of their communities, recognize ways to interact with them, acknowledge the contributions that they make, reward them, and find more ways to grow that ecosystem and welcome new folks into the party. Uh, I feel like the discussion about uh, uh, decentralizing identities, let's say, in Web3, it is so big right now, at least like in my circle. So um, I'm really excited to to be having this conversation with you. Uh, I recently actually hosted a, a, a Twitter space with uh, a company called Freename, if you've heard of them. Oh, yes. We love the Freename team. They are wonderful friends. Yeah. And they uh, we got like over 200 people attending that, that space. So, uh, and it was hosted from like a small account. And I think that, that was for me um, a wake up call to realize that it's a I think it's a very uh, a big subject for a lot of people right now. So I'm really excited to to hear more about um, where you're heading with, with Disco and, and thank you for, for sharing this. Um, something else I wanted to ask you is that in the world of Web3, you've explored um, the differences between centralized and decentralized systems. 
Um, can you maybe share some insights into the advantages and disadvantages um, each uh, approach has, and especially from your point of view, and especially because like you are building something that's decentralized? So centralized and decentralized are almost like memes at this point because every system has elements that are centralized and elements that are decentralized. And so at Disco, we are practitioners of what we like to call minimum viable centralization, which means we leverage centralized computation, storage, actions, you know, choices, design patterns when they serve our users most and best and we prioritize decentralized design patterns, tools, infrastructures, and approaches when those are the best solution for the experience we are trying to deliver. And so at Disco, our thought of choosing one tool or one approach over another is really driven by what is the experience for the human being at the end, whether they're a leader in growth at their protocol or an individual user who's exploring the metaverse, um, how can we make their day better? their adventure faster and more efficient and more delightful. Um, and that, at the end of the day, is the most crucial element for us. But in your opinion, like, do you believe uh, in total decentralization? This wasn't really a question that I prepared, but I feel like uh, I think it's a personal curiosity of mine right now. Mm -hmm. So overall, I think, you know, the, the sort of concept of hyper-decentralization um, is, you know, it's a really interesting meme. So let's follow that to its logical conclusion. What is the most decentralized that you could be? Living alone on a windswept crag on a cliff in a hut that you built yourself with wood that you harvested from the forest, growing your own vegetables and connecting to, you know, the blockchain using Starlink, a centralized service or, you know, or some other means. Perhaps you've built your own capacity to interact with an Internet service provider. Um, but it's a really interesting and extreme vision, right? What is the most isolated, the most independent, the most decentralized I might be? And that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Now, I'm mostly kidding about, you know, this picture of living alone on a cliff. But realistically, you know, blockchains are human coordination systems. Decentralized technology serves us best when it brings us closer together with the human beings we are trying to connect with and coordinate with. When we use decentralized technology as a way to better unite human beings more closely that's the instance where it makes the most sense, not where it isolates us and beats the humanity out of our interactions by trying to make them as trustless as possible. In fact, I think the word trustless is almost misleading when it comes to blockchains. There's nothing about a public ledger that is trustless when we dig down to the edges. We have to trust all the other node operators are going to pay their electricity bills and not spill coffee on their machines. We have to trust that they will update their clients. In fact, we have to trust that, you know, for running a node for a layer two, that the six people on the multi-sig wallet are going to continue to do their jobs and continue to act, um, you know, in accordance with their remit. And so decentralization requires an incredible layer of trust and coordination. Um, but that decentralization brings us back to a centralized culture of shared values and shared trust in what one another will do outside of our trustless environment. 
I mean, for me personally, I think like when I think of decentralization, I don't really believe in like living alone and so on. And obviously, like the I think the most common um, thought about it is a bit different than what I'm thinking of. But I think for me, it's like it also means like better products. It means like better interaction um, with like anything you you find online. Um, it means like uh, it's a, a lot more responsibility for yourself in the way you interact with like assets with with others and so on so for me it has a, a bit of a different vision <laughs> um but i mean like that's just me um um i as as we're kind of moving um deeper into our conversation i and as we're talking about like um, interacting better with product and so on um i know that's something that's very special to disco is the onboarding and personalization um i mean like last time we spoke you, you showed me a, a couple of really cool stuff and that you can do on the platform. How do you enhance user onboarding um, and personalized experiences through what you're building right now? So at Disco, we work with um, with partner organizations to help them understand and grow their communities. So what onboarding means in every community is a little bit different. But at Disco, we endeavor to make that as simple and joyful and easy as possible. Often when you download a new app, you spend a lot of time filling out a form um, or having to set preferences, provide information, et cetera. And with Disco, you don't have to download anything. You bring the wallet that you already have. And in collaboration with some of our amazing partners, such as Kiki World, we have made the ability to onboard to the on-chain world a free and interactive in-person experience. So actually, through the chipped experience, you know, that that is enabled by some Disco's APIs, um, you're able to put an acrylic fingernail on, just glue that on your fingernails. Someone can tap their phone to your fingernail, and immediately the two of you can connect your wallets and begin building a social graph. And so that, that interaction is simply exchanging contact information with a new friend in person. It doesn't involve you paying any gas fees or having to publicize your engagements on chain, but it creates data that can be in, that can be used to inform smart contract interactions and is on-chain aware, written by keys that live on-chain and can be used in applications that care what those addresses are. Um, additionally, Disco's drops uh, are a friendly way to scan a QR code, uh, tap an NFC chip, and cl- or click a link to claim a digital asset for free. Um, That asset can be used to recognize the fact that you attended an event, contributed in a certain way to that community, or even performed a transaction or made a purchase. Then the party or organization that gave you that digital asset to recognize you is then able to use that relationship as the basis for something to build forward, whether that is loyalty, fandom, or collaboration. Um, do you believe that right now um, this kind of like what Disco does, for example, like it enhances um, or it gives the possibility to different brands to be like as creative as possible when it comes to either the existing community or like new possible community members, for example? Certainly. So at Disco, we have heard from our partners that these tools make it easy to re-engage and more deeply engage their communities, to give them more to do with their keys that is not going to be expensive or prohibitive, but actually provides useful information on both sides from the organization and that community member to be able to see one another and understand the roles that they have in this space together. 
Um, we also see an exciting opportunity to grow, to help teams grow their audiences by identifying addresses or users that are similar to those already in their ecosystem, but not yet aware of their product or offering. And so by identifying what we call lookalike audiences or sets of addresses that are similar to those users you already have, you can then reach out to them and target users for your application or service who would likely really enjoy it, but simply don't know about you yet. I think like this is one of the things that I, I love most about uh, Web3 marketing in general, that I feel like it opens the gates, like so much creativity, like, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm like a kid in the candy store. <laughs> um, I'm something else I wanted to ask you is regarding your uh, uh, developer tools. I, I know recently they were in beta. Um, maybe you can tell us more about like how they've evolved and uh, how uh, the testing has been uh, going. Uh, and I also wanted to ask if you can tell us more about like how these tools um, can be utilized uh, by various uh, types of partners. Certainly. So Disco's developer tools started off with our API, where if a, a user connects to your uh, application or to your interface, you can call their data backpack ask for the public information about them that could help to personalize their experience. And so that took off pretty quickly right away, realizing that there were a lot of applications that wanted to provide more context for their users so they wouldn't have to fill out as many forms or provide as many specifications up front. Then in order to build upon that capability, we realized that our partners wanted to be able to create digital assets and easily drop them into the custody of their users, almost like an airdrop with no gas. So these digital assets are called verifiable credentials, or they're like, um, they're like files that you control with your keys, signed by other parties that have written things about you. So they're signed statements from other organizations or individuals given to you, sort of like the plastic membership cards or ID cards you might have in your physical wallet. Um, and so by being able to have this mix of different types of information, um, we allow applications to add information to what is owned by their users, to be able to read and rely upon it so that users can come to an app with more information about themselves than just what tokens they have. They can show what communities they're part of, who they are friends with, where they spend their time, and what types of experiences they prefer. And so we found that actually this is really important not only for people's public preferences, but also for some of the information that they don't want to share everywhere. They only want to share in certain places, such as their social graph, who they're friends with and who they've met in person. And that's why we built the Disco SDK. So this little simple piece of code allows applications to request private data from a user who comes to their front door that wouldn't otherwise be public so that that particular app experience can benefit from their preferences, uh, but they don't have to expose them publicly to everybody on earth and in space with an internet connection. And so with our API and SDK, Disco makes it easy to distribute digital assets to your ecosystem, to recognize or reward them, and then to be able to keep track of those addresses moving forward and understand how they show up in your space so that you can make sure that their experience is as fulfilling and as rewarding for both sides as possible. All right, let's take a quick break and introduce you to a game changer in the lead generation arena, Tealfront. Now, we all know the struggle of identifying those elusive websites visitors and turning them into valuable leads. 
But what if I told you there's a tool that not only promises, but delivers on supercharging your lead generation and sales efforts? Imagine having the power to identify companies visiting your website, track their behavior in real time, and seamlessly integrate it all with your CRM. Zillfront is not just a tool, it's your secret weapon for efficient and targeted lead engagement. So what sets it apart? Its revenue engine is fueled by live European data in multiple languages, providing you with insights and access that other tools simply can't match. No more struggling to find the right decision makers. With Dealfront, it's as easy as a few clicks. Here's the magic. With Dealfront, you can harness three layers of data, market signals, web visitors, and EU company databases. And there's no need to worry about compliance. Dealfront meets Europe's strict standards, ensuring GDPR compliance competitors simply can't match. Ready to revolutionize your approach to leads and deals? Grab your free demo today at dealfront.com. That's D-E-A-L-F-R-O-N-T dot com. Don't miss out on the future of successful deal making with Dealfront. Um, as we're as we're talking about like uh, different different types of experiences for like um, uh, com- both companies and communities as well. Um, I know you guys have a focus on both B2B and B2C as well. How do you envision supporting these companies in creating some uh, unique uh, Web3 experiences? And what sorts of experiences are you targeting? Like, is it something in particular from like you've told me it's something, it's pretty diverse, but uh, I want to hear from you. <laughs> it's So it's pretty simple. It's sort of the same, the same implementation, but different use cases. And so, um, you know, with Disco, the sort of the tool set that our partners rely upon most is the ability to identify, recognize, and engage with their communities. Um, And so specific activities that have been really helpful for our partners recently include the ability to distribute these digital assets through email newsletters, allowing members of the community to associate their wallet address with their email and to prove to that community leader that they're actually reading the newsletter, that they're interacting with it. Um, And so this helps the community leader understand not only who holds their tokens, but also who holds their tokens and reads their newsletter. Additionally, we've worked with partners who are excited to distribute these in person, such as having a QR code on a screen at an event or an NFC chip embedded in a physical object at an event. So this allows the growth leader or event organizer to understand not only who interacts with them on chain, but also which wallets that interact on chain are also standing in the room with us right now. And so this ability to perceive your on-chain identity in physical space and for your physical identity and actions to express on-chain, it's this sort of connection of physical and digital that Disco makes possible. Um, But the nice thing is it's pretty much, as I said, the same for every use case. No matter where your users show up, as you distribute these pieces of data to them, these credentials or digital assets to them, you can watch them or, or keep track of them, understand their actions across platforms, not just in the one application where that was created. Do you feel attribution is uh, is better uh, in Web three than in Web two in terms of like getting your audience better, or like so, knowing people that would buy your your product or interact with your product better? That's a great question. Um, so if we drill into the word attribution, what it implies is that a piece of information, an action, or an event 
can be traced back to the party that did it. <laughs> um, and so it's it becomes more straightforward to understand, um, you know, who is standing in the room if you have their addresses and you understand their on-chain actions. I think because in Web3, users have keys that are capable of signing and asserting themselves in a way that Web2 does not, that we have a greater opportunity for attribution. However, we have not yet achieved it because we do not have a great way to keep track of people's wallet addresses in non or in off-chain environments and to relate those to their on-chain actions. And so it is actually through Disco's tools that we have created new forms of attribution that allow for that pattern to remain unbroken and to mirror some of the processes that growth leaders might enjoy in Web2. We're also very excited about the amazing work done by some of our colleagues over at Spindle and Addressable to make attribution for social um, advertisements such as display ads on Twitter even more accessible for our growth leaders. Yeah, I think um, I think moving forward, uh, I, I feel like there's so much to to learn. Um, I've I've met both Spindle and Addressable at uh, last summer, and uh, I know they were complaining about the fact that not many many marketers know uh, what to track and what what not. Um, but right now, I'm also seeing a lot of like leaders telling me that the tools are not there. So I think it's a mix. I think they're not exactly enough people that or like enough projects with like enough mature teams that can actually read this data. But at the same time, maybe the tools are still trying to understand what is the best way to go. So, um, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. Um, you uh, mentioned to me that you're all about like use cases and giving examples and you've been doing this so far and I absolutely love it. Uh, this is what my audience loves as well. Um, can you maybe share some examples with some tangible use cases of Disco and where you see the market heading in terms of like self, uh, self, wow, that's, that's a hard one, <laughs> self, uh, sovereign identity? Well, the first thing is that we've got to figure out something that's easier to pronounce because self-sovereign identity is both a mouthful and a little bit of a meme because it doesn't imply any technical implementation details. The premise is just that you are a sovereign and independent individual and you can move around and make choices as you so desire. Um, so when we think about the direction the market is moving right now, what we are seeing is a resurgence in airdrops, a resurgence in the distribution of value for networks that are decentralizing. And what we've seen differently in this market cycle than ones in the past is that founders are getting wise to airdrop farmers. No longer is there a list of actions you need to do on chain that when you perform them, you can assume you will receive a bunch of money in your wallet sometime soon. Uh, because that is not an especially effective growth and, and um, sort of community health maintenance strategy over time at scale as we've seen. And so the advent of tools like points that allow applications to easily track simple behaviors is evidence to us that there's a cry for metadata in the ecosystem. There is not enough information about users of a protocol or an application to easily inform the distribution of something like an airdrop. So working with a number of our partners, we've started to incorporate credentials that help people recognize who's showing up at events, 
who's in the Discord channel, who's in the Twitter space, who's making a presentation at a conference, who's joining the podcast, so that you are able to recognize and reward all of the different ways that people show up and bring health to a community, not just by turning tokens on chain, though that's incredibly valuable for things like transaction volume. And so assisting our partners, especially those protocol layer, to understand and define the way their communities community members show up, and then to be able to use that data later as the proxy of reputation or token distribution is something we're very excited about. To tease a little alpha that we're going to release either later today or tomorrow, um, you may have heard about frames on Farcaster or embedded applications that allow users to interact in a simple on and off-chain way. Um, so we have built out a number of fun identity capabilities um, that feel a lot like the BuzzFeed quizzes or MySpace quizzes of the old days, um, but actually allow us to express ourselves in a way that is chain legible and controlled by us. Um, and so from the sort of growth manager dashboard and traditional business metrics all the way down to um, supporting application experiences that are joyful for end users, you know, our role as the connective tissue of data can move up and down the stack for anyone who's using our tools. Um, um, I love this. <laughs> I wanted to say something else, but uh, I can't remember. Um, but I, I'm really, I'm really excited to to see to see you get into um, or like into into this hype and and see how you can utilize like Farcaster, for example, to um, to, to engage with, with more people. Um, something else I wanted to know is like, how do you envision Web3 utilities and, utilities and experiences, um, evolving over time? I know at least, um, I'm, I keep saying in my circle, but I, I'm pretty sure like it's a, it's a discussion pretty much everywhere online, not just, uh, where I spend a lot of time on, on, on social media. And how do you, um, how do you at Disco contribute to this ev evolution? So at Disco, we are certainly very involved in the discourse around the development of our protocols from identity standards to the way that they're implemented. And our teammates have been longtime uh, enthusiasts and active contributors to organizations like the Decentralized Identity Foundation and the World Wide Web Consortium, the good folks that run the internet and help all these different networks talk to each other. So we are very deeply, uh, um, deeply entrenched in an understanding and appreciation for the technologies that came before. Um, but it is with that information that we need to be creative and, uh, and be problem solvers to apply it in new ways and invent new things. Um, so as this sort of market cycle develops and we start to uh, gain a new appreciation for what Web3 can do, my long-term guess, vision, thesis is that we will move away from all of these clicks on screen, manually approving every single transaction, looking at ugly EIP 712 signatures with different characters that make our wallet windows stretch out really big. I think we will move away from that confusing interface because it's not appropriate for people at scale. Instead, I think that we will likely um, return to the trend of 2017, which was smart contract wallets, where um, you, know, you may have heard them this season renamed as account abstraction, but it's the same premise. How can we take our manual car, where we're manually doing all the transactions, clicking, clicking, clicking through, how can we take that and turn it into an automatic car where we are able to enjoy more automation, more execution of transactions based on our preferences as opposed to that very, you know, um, involved process? 
So I see us moving toward a protocol-to-protocol interaction. I believe that your data backpack with Disco will become full of data about you over the next couple months as we invite you deeper into the ecosystem and you become more involved on chain. Eventually, that data backpack will encompass so much of your data that it's a pretty good picture of your footprint, what you've been up to, what you like, and where you hang out. And so you will be able to train an AI agent on your backpack, on the set of data written about you, so that you will be able to have your own personal agent that can negotiate on your behalf, find you the best deal for a vacation, figure out where you should go to dinner with your friends based on their food allergies, location, time availability, and preference for the day. So we're very excited to move toward a future where your data can be used to inform your preferences without you having to manually click every single button along the way. Um, We at Disco define an intent as an action taken in order to achieve a state change. So we see intents as more than just DeFi as the basis for this whole protocol-to-protocol interaction future that can be made possible with decentralized identity. What's your opinion about um, millennials versus Gen Z when it comes to sharing their data? Because I feel like a lot of the things that are being built right now And um, I I mean, like everything you're telling me about Disco, I think it's absolutely amazing. But I'm also a millennial. So like I've been sharing my data ever since I've known myself. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with that or at least like that's kind of how I grew up. Um, What do you think uh, is going to happen with these new generations that are going to come up? Like, are you, do you think or that are going to be adopting Web3 or that are going to be interacting with, with any Web3, with Disco or with any other company there? Do you think they are okay with like sharing their data or like for companies to be able to like track a bunch of their activities and know a lot of the things about them? I mean, like, of course, Uber and Google and Facebook already knows a bunch of stuff about your, about you, but um, I wanted to know like what's your uh, Web3 opinion about it. I think for any human being, Web2, Web3, Gen Z, Gen X, Gen A, Millennial, whatever, whoever you are, odds are you have a set of goals for your day and you're interested in exploring tools that can help you accomplish those goals better, faster, easier, in a more delightful way. I think often when we talk about data sharing, it gets separated from the reason we're sharing that data or the value we can enjoy on the other end. As millennials, I think we are sick of being farmed for our data. Data is labor right? Every action that you do online and even some in physical space produces data written about you, created by you. And you very rarely have an opportunity to see it, to get any value from it, or to reuse it because you don't even know where it sits and wouldn't have anywhere to put it if you wanted to be able to take it with you from one app to another. And so by making these tools, uh, by, by enabling tools that can make this process much easier, We see a way forward that both preserves the autonomy and consent of every person and allows them to choose where and when they want to share based on the benefits that they'll be able to get on the other side. And so this places individuals in a powerful negotiation seat that they've never had before to decide where and when they want to enjoy privileges based on the exchange of that data, as opposed to being forced to do so without any option. 
Furthermore, I think we can look at some of the, um, you know, fun trends around technology that Gen Z has introduced to us from finstas to flip phones, a resurgence of flip phones. And what, you know, what I think the idea of sort of temporary or ephemeral media from be real to stories to these, you know, sort of alternate uh, social platform or social profiles, what this shows us is that human beings change and evolve. You know, you will never meet the same person twice, certainly not in the same body. And we are not obligated to be the same person we were 10 minutes ago. So especially for those people who are younger, who are exploring, defining, and, you know, and evolving their identities, it would be bizarre to force them to embody a single public permanent definition of themselves, as the blockchain might imply. And so I think that, you know, the behavior of younger generations shows us that we can have flexibility in our technical systems. There are some things we want to share, some things we want to keep private, but we want to have consent over those actions so that we can understand what value we are getting. And so I guess in that way also, Gen Z is wise to this conversation around data in a way that we were not growing up. I certainly did not think about the role of my Facebook information in informing the ads I would receive when I was a teenager because I did not know how that system worked at the time. So with the certainly, you know, proliferation of this information, many, you know, public hearings, lawsuits, press releases, sets of information, new applications, new industries. Now, I also think that Gen Z is much more technically literate in the choices and options that they might have in the future than we were at that age. I mean, at least they have a lot more information uh, than we did. So even if like they, they're not more literal in that sense, at least they, they can find the information a lot faster. So um, um, I, I get it and I, I do agree with you in that sense. And um, as we were talking about like Gen Zs and, and millennials and so on, I know the metaverse is a pretty sensitive subject for some. Um, and I wanted to ask you, like, what's your opinion about the differences between digital identity uh, normally, let's say, uh, on-chain, uh, IRL, um, and the metaverse? Like, do you think there are any differences? Or, like, there are any differences in the way, like, people behave? Like, what's your take on this? So I have a little bit of a spicy take on the metaverse. I do not think the metaverse is hanging out inside of someone else's website with an iPad stuck to your face. I think the metaverse is your ability to show up in any digital or physical environment and enjoy a personalized experience based on the parts of yourself that you choose to share. With spatial computing and even tools like the Apple Vision Pro, we are starting to see that the edges of our computers and the edges of our phones are no longer the boundaries where digital identity is trapped, but rather our digital identities and our on-chain identities can be can show up in different forms in physical space. So from those NFC embedded fingernails that we talked about to future spatial computing that helps us to differentiate, you know, whole uh, whole entire ecosystems, um, we see a way for people to show up and share parts of themselves to decide what they want to share or even modify the way that they present for different circumstances. Um, and that array, that range or spectrum of expression is certainly very available in persistent digital environments like games um, or what other people might you know, refer to sort of simple metaverses. Um, but there's no reason that your creative expression of identity needs to be trapped to one app or stuck on one screen 
when we have the technology to allow it to move wherever we want. And so as builders, it's up for us, it's up to us to be creative and break down those boundaries. How can my NFT represent me on a social platform, in a game, and also in person? How can I have my alumni status as part of my school community assert itself in a game too so I can find my classmates or help me determine whether I qualify for a student discount at this ice cream shop? And so we do not cease to have our identity traits when we enter an app that is not ready to recognize them. They are simply unknown until we find a way to read them. Um. You aim to enhance community engagement, uh, which I think is is absolutely awesome. Um, how do does one achieve this, and what role does self? Uh, I'll call it like decentralization, or like self identity, or like freedom. I'm not going to call it like self uh, sovereign sovereign identity because like uh, <laughs> it's a bit seems to be a very difficult word for me today. Um, so how does this freedom uh, play in building stronger online communities um, or build your brand or have a better positioning compared to your competitors? So to, to quote from a friend of mine, Kevin Owaki, the founder of Gitcoin, crypto wasn't made to make you rich. Crypto was made to make you free. And so What Disco enables is for us to use the freedom of a wallet, the freedom of a key pair to control more than just money alone, to be able to control proof that you show up in and contribute to your community or that you interact with and know other parties in that ecosystem. Um, and so when it comes to sort of how do we activate people, how do we inspire them, how do we drive them with incentives, it actually comes down to two pretty simple brain chemicals that I think about a lot. One, serotonin, and one, dopamine. So, of course, you had a wonderful conversation with Amanda Cassatt, so I'm sure you guys delved into the role of serotonin. But at Disco, we think a lot about the experiences in our lives that give us confidence, psychological safety, and stability. Applications that we return to every day because we know they're going to operate of just about the same, and we understand um, the familiar actions required to use them. So something like Instagram that is stable, it operates the same way every time you go back and you understand how to interact with it in order to find your moments of joy, that stability is really for many years was not available on blockchain networks. And so we instead focused our time and energy on those quick dopamine hits. Twitter drama, hacks, airdrops, new protocols, and you know the facets of our human experience that didn't show up on chain but provided us a reason to stick around, a reason to stay in the Discord, to be engaged, and to feel involved. And so when we work with community leaders to use tools of technology to invite these experiences of you know brain chemicals, of a sense of belonging, of um, you know psychological safety, shared values, and a shared identity that really it's those experiences that we're going after. So how do you do it? How does this work in a community if we're talking about something as abstract as the way that our brains work? It's a pretty simple formula, pretty straightforward, or at least one of the main ways that we work with our partners and see, see them achieving this. And this is pretty consistent in brand and marketing across the board, even if you take the Web3 part away. As the leader of a protocol or an organization, you can define a share of a set shared of a shared set of values and a set of shared goals. By inviting your community to join you in the shared pursuit of those goals, abiding by those values, whatever those actions might be, your community is now doing an action together. 
they're having a shared experience where they're all approaching the same goal, seeing one another along the way and growing closer because of that shared experience. Shared experiences give us shared identity. And that shared identity gives us psychological safety to feel comfortable and explore and be open-minded in those spaces. And so this pattern I described is actually, uh, you know, came before crypto. It's sort of the same pattern that things like public goods, contributions, and civic engagement have followed for decades. Um, And so we really, you know, lean on the human patterns of delight, of belonging, of value, of curiosity in addition to the memes and speculation that we know drive a lot of the energy in the space. Um, Something else I've I've noticed is that there's a really big trend trend right now with giving POAPs. And I've also um, had a chat with somebody from the team of POAP, especially on the enterprise side of things, because that was like very something I felt like there was a very unique uh, uh, perspective, let's say, on the things and like how bigger companies are using like a Web3 tool to to engage either the community or the internal teams and so on. And they were giving me like a bunch of really a bunch of very very cool examples. Um, I and I also know um, I've gathered a bunch of pop-ups myself. Um, but I wanted to ask you, like, do you have some examples of how this this has been effective in uh, community engagement? Especially because like last time we we spoke, you showed me how I can engage some of my community members or some of my speakers as well. Certainly. And I love that you mentioned POAP. We are very close friends of the POAP team. And actually, um, we've got some POAP representation on the disco cap table. So they were some of our very earliest supporters, even before we told the world what we were building. So it's always an honor to be able to ride with them because we have a very, very much shared vision of the future where brands can easily engage with their communities in different ways, reactivate old audiences that they may not be in contact with at that moment, and identify new ones who'd be well-suited to interact in their space. Um, Certainly from the POAP perspective, we've had an opportunity to see what those expressions can look like on chain, but we've run into a bit of a challenge. It's pretty tough to be able to sort and filter NFTs when all you have is a URI that points elsewhere. And so beyond POAP for simple NFTs that are being used as a proxy for identity data, we've run into a bit of a dead end where we've got all of this, all of these assets in our wallets, but other people have a tough time telling if they were wanted or unwanted, airdropped or obtained honestly. So POAPs, I think, are a wonderful signal for affinity, a great way to prove that you've acquired, uh, you know, uh, a, you know, an asset from a brand or an interaction with a brand. Um, but as with any NFT, there are just different kinds of assurances that we get and different kinds of information that that signals to us. Um, so, you know, I certainly was a kid growing up who put stickers on my notebooks, and I think that my POAPs are the adult version of that. Um, I know there was a company, I can't remember exactly what's the name of it right now, but I know there's a company, um, that I've interacted with this summer and they were telling me that I can only comp- I can only use their app. And if I, if I only, if I have like a bunch of apps that would, uh, show or like, I can like put them side by side, side by side with somebody else and see exactly for like where, if we've been to the same events or like if we've interacted with the same brands. Um, and I think this is also like a very, very cool way to, um, build to meet new people, basically like alike, because you were talking about the like audiences uh, a bit earlier. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Alexander, actually, I think you highlighted one of the most important things about identity data. That if the only thing I know about you is how much money you have, 
then the only thing we can coordinate together is spending that money, you know, maybe making a treasury or purchasing something. But if I know what you events events have you have gone to, you know which events I have gone to. Now we have enough information between the two of us to start a conversation when before we did not. And so identity data in all different shapes and sizes on chain and off chain, when we present it in a way that others can read, we introduce enough information to the conversation to be able to have one. I think it's much, it's much better than like saying, hi, how are you? Where are you from? <laughs> and do a lot of, a lot of like uh, small talk that I know a lot of uh, adults uh, are starting to hate. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And I think that one of, you know, when we push everything to the edges, when we become atomic units unto ourselves, decentralized and sovereign with our keys, these independent units floating around the metaverse, then it becomes really hard to find each other based on the information that we have publicly. How do we find new groups? How do we connect with them? And so what we are starting to see here is the tip of the iceberg of the information we need to coordinate more than just spending treasuries, to plan parties and build products and grow rich ecosystems that welcome more than those who are already here. Um, something else I wanted to ask you as uh, we're kind of getting close to the end of the conversation, but not yet. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, um, what type of companies uh, and communities uh, uses Disco or have adopted Disco? Because I think that would be very interesting to uh, to look at. Are they like Web3? Are they like uh, bigger companies, smaller companies? Are they like Web2 that are trying to test the waters, let's say, What's your, um, what, what kind of info can you share when it comes to that? So until now, all of our tools have been explicitly bring your own keys, which requires communities of users and those growth leaders who are leading the way to be using an EOA or wallet in order to interact. So of course, this defines our space as squarely Web3. However, we are excited to welcome those Web 2.5 brands as partners as we start to roll out our additional capabilities this quarter, including the ability to sign up and authenticate with an email address instead of a key pair. And so that allows us to provision keys on your behalf for you to interact just like other users, but without having to already manage private keys or have your own wallet. And so we began in the, you know, very much in the Web3 space, working with partners who defined their community membership based on public addresses or public keys on chain. Um, these new capabilities, handling other identifiers such as social handles and email addresses, will allow us to expand to serve companies that we traditionally would call Web2. Um, additionally, we started off our backend infrastructure um, with fairly decentralized infrastructure encryption signing capabilities that meant our uh, we, we were inheriting the latency of those technical choices, that the experience of the app was slower as a result of the way that the data was handled. And so we spent a lot of time studying, working with our partners and understanding what was most important to them about that experience. And then we modified our backend storage so that it could move faster, handle more data and serve the scale of the partners that we're excited to work with next in the Web2 space. So as we chatted about a little bit before this conversation, Disco now supports over 900,000 unique users um, and over 1.3 million credentials. This is pretty insane. How long did it take you to get to these numbers? So we have been building Disco for two years, but as everybody likes to say, you know, slowly then suddenly. Um, and so we have been very intentional with how we've scaled up 
and um, specifically the improvements we made to our backend infrastructure in the last quarter of, of 2023 of last year were changes that allowed us to open the floodgates and be able to physically handle more than 10 times as much data as we were able to before. I'm really happy that you mentioned that because like one of the last questions that I have for you um, is regarding like future developments uh, of Disco and what should listeners and users uh, should expect moving forward. Certainly. So for some alpha leaks to look out for Disco coming soon, we have Data Backpacks version 2, which are live right now, although we'll be doing a, a larger public announcement in the coming days. So if you check out app.disco.xyz, and if you visited before, you will see a lighter weight, faster, friendlier version that has more flexible search. From our end user perspective, we're excited to introduce frames. Um, and as I've teased a little bit more, we've got some very fun quiz capabilities that allow you to interact with your friends, get closer to them, and to be able to build that network of value um, through interpersonal interaction, not just throwing money, money at each other with our wallets. Um, additionally, for our enterprise partners and those operating in Web2 scale, we are excited to introduce email authentication, a subscription access to our dashboard that provides multi-chain support so you can understand your audience, what other chains they hang out on, where they're spending their time and resources, and who else they know. Um, and so with the consent of our communities and leveraging the public protocols and private tools that we have today, Disco is so excited to introduce the most robust applied identity platform for growth leaders anywhere in Web3. This is uh, this is so exciting. Um, I can't wait to to be able to use it as well uh, for what I'm trying to build here. Um, one of the last questions I have for you is, um, and something that I'm asking all my speakers is, are there any kinds of resources, books, podcasts that you feel would tools that you're using in Web three that you feel would uh, help um, our listeners today? Certainly. I have three book recommendations for your listeners today. These are books that I read when I was a teenager that are actually on the bookshelf just over there on the other side of my childhood bedroom here. Um, so the first one is written by Professor Jonathan Zetrain, who um, teaches at the Berkman Klein Center for the Internet at Harvard Law School. And the name of the book is The Future of the Internet and How to Stop It. Um, so I think that was one of the most meaningful books that I read when I um, was, you know, was just learning about decentralized technologies at kind of the, the height of the net neutrality conversation. And I think that it's a crucial read for anyone who's building in this space. Additionally, for people who care about the value of decentralized networks, and a special note for the economics nerds in the audience who may have remembered books by Adam Smith, um, I would recommend The Wealth of Networks, written by Professor Yochai Benkler. So this book, although it precedes blockchains, describes decentralized creation of value across ecosystems, across cultures that is manifested in a way governed by groups of people. Um, and so I think it's a great precursor to a lot of the work that we do here today. Um, and then lastly, to recommend one more, um, I would love to suggest um, the book Here Comes Everybody by Clay Shirky. Um, so Here Comes Everybody is a discussion of social technologies and the sort of growth of the Web 2.0 boom that led us to where we are today, um, describing the role of both financial and identity rails and the fact that we are now scaling the whole planet to ride on them. Um, and so... 
just to close out those recommendations, um, I want to invite all your listeners to think about the leaders and, um, you know, creators, writers, professors, policymakers who have built their careers on the developing internet and for us to learn from the lessons they had before blockchains came to be so that we can unite that expertise with the vantage point we have today. I love it. Um, thank you so much. And now can you tell the audience, where can they find you? Certainly. You can find me on Twitter at Proven Authority. You can find me on Farcaster at Evan, E-V-I-N. Disco is always open for business at disco.xyz. And I cannot wait to see all of you in the metaverse. For today, also, as a special treat for your listeners, I'll send over a link for uh, for them to claim their very own credential to get started experiencing some of the fun stuff we talked about today. And then on the other side, I'll give you access to our cool tools you can build experiences for those folks in the future if that's well-suited to your community. I, I love this. Um, so everyone, like, watch out uh, about uh, the links in the description of the episode. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for taking the time of talking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and I hope to, to see you soon, actually, like face to face and, um, and speak more about, uh, what you're developing at, at Disco. And, uh, I feel like this year is going to be a very interesting year. So, uh, a lot of, uh, very interesting subjects to, to delve into. Indeed. May we live in interesting times. Well, <laughs> Alexandra, it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for inviting me to join the conversation today, and I will see you in the metaverse. See you. See you. Thank you so much for listening to our Out of Ordinary podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to hear more content like this, then open up the podcast app and click on the follow or subscribe button. It takes less than five seconds and is the single best thing you can do to support the show and stay up to date to more marketing strategies that are being used in the Web3 space.